So we're going to learn about our first sola. And so let me explain to you. How many of you know what that word sola means? S-O-L-A? All right, most of you don't know what that means. Uh, it means alone. All right? So we're going to look at the different solas, and these are uh, things that stand alone. You don't need to add to them to have a relationship or faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first one is going to be uh, the word of the Lord. So in Luke chapter 9, verse 35, we have the story of Christ being transfigured before his disciples and um, Moses and Elijah. Those are two very notable um, Jewish prophets that captivated the minds of Jewish people. Actually, Moses still captivates the mind of Jewish people today. If you go into a synagogue, they will have a Torah, which is the first five books of Moses, in their pews, in their rows. Just as we have a, a row Bible here in our church, well, they will have the first five books of Moses. So Moses really captivates their attention. And, um, but think of those two great prophets that Israel's captivated by, and Jesus is conversing with them. And um, Peter said, well, we should really build three little tabernacles here, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. And then here's the Father's response to that. Verse 34, while he thus spoke, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into a, the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no one in those days any of those things which they had seen. So this was the fact that the father was saying, no, you don't need to listen to Moses anymore. You don't need to know about Elijah anymore. This is my beloved son. I want you to listen to him alone. And so we hold on to today the great teachings of the word of Christ and that alone. We'll articulate that. Just a little bit more as we get into our message. Jeff, why don't you come and give us our next song. Oh, we have scripture here. This is what's up next. My turn? Okay, 2 Timothy 3.16. If you would stand one more time in honor of God's word, let's read this together. 2 Timothy 3.16.17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. All right, you may be seated. So this one, the first sola is sola scriptura. Can you say that with me? Sola scriptura. What that means is scripture alone. So what has been given to us according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? The word of God. It equips us. So this is important. If you're a member of a cult today, 
If you're a Mormon, you would have the Bible and the writings of their prophet, their church founder. What was his name? Joseph Smith. And that document that he created is called the Book of Mormon. All right. If you're a Jehovah Witness, you have the writings of their founding prophet, James Russell, and a New World Translation where they took the Bible in the Greek and they translated it the way that they wanted it to read in English. All right? So they're playing loose with the manuscript. Um, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you have the Bible, but you also have the, the writings of their prophetess, Ellen Gould White. Uh, but if you're a Catholic, you have the teachings of the Pope. Now, how many of you remember, maybe decade, decades ago, that Catholics used to eat fish on Friday? You remember that? Do you know why that was? Because the Pope decreed it to be so because he owned canneries and fisheries, and he wanted to make money. So, therefore, Catholics had to eat fish on Friday. Right? Nothing in the Bible about that. It was the extra teachings of the decrees of the Pope. So the Pope speaks ex cathedra, or out of the cathedral. Uh, and what he says, because he is the vicar of Christ on earth, he's the living Lord of the church, then what he says is authoritative for the church. But then they also have things that they then, uh, because popes die, and cardinals die, but the church teachings then they put into a group of books called the church canon, and that also governs how they practice their faith. And so, as Bible-believing Christians, we don't have other books or creeds or doctrines that govern our faith, just sola scriptura. All right, scripture alone. So what is your source of authority? Here's a practical application. What governs your life today? A lot of people don't want to be governed by anything. All right, don't want to be governed in society by laws. Don't want to be governed by the Constitution. And a lot of people who go to Bible-believing churches don't even want to be governed by the scriptures. They get offended when the scripture is applied to their lives, when it's taught. So what is your source of authority in your life? Here are some other practical things that happened. Um, during the late Middle Ages, when you went to church, you only heard it in Latin. And you didn't have a copy of the Bible for yourself in your own hands. Now, I used to do this, and so let's just do this for fun. How many of you brought your Bibles with you today, and I set mine down over here? So, <laughs> all right, hold up your Bible for just a second, all right? Paul told the believers in the New Testament that the believers in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures to see if the things that they were being taught were so. You may put your Bibles down. But do you bring your Bible to church to check pastor? It's perfectly acceptable to fact check me. 
right? It really is. Um, because sometimes I get things wrong. You know, I get Moses in the ark instead of Noah. And uh, I'll have two serpents on a pole instead of one. And uh, so those kind of things, it's perfectly fine to fact check and listen with discernment. Uh, one time we had a, a guest speaker that said the devil knew all things. Is that true? Well, we had several people in the church come up to me later and say, Pastor, that's not right, is it? The devil's not all-knowing, is he? And I said, well, I can tell you from the word of God that no, he's not omniscient. Right? He's not, he doesn't have all knowledge. But if you're not bringing your Bible, if you're not using the Bible as the source of authority of your life, then really can you say that I believe in Scripture alone as the governing factor for my life? And so as a Bible-believing church, we believe that it's the Word of God alone that governs our faith and our practice. So we try to practice what are the very basics or the primitive teachings of the Word of God and not add a lot of different denominational structure to it. But to get the Bible into our own hands, there were many men uh, that translated from the original languages into the vernacular language of the nation that they lived in. Uh, Germany, because Martin Luther started the Reformation, was one of the first European countries to have a copy of the scripture in German that the people spoke at that time. England was one of the last nations in Europe to have the Bible in their own language. Uh, they kept killing the men that were trying to translate the Bible into a common language. John Wycliffe and, and many others uh, were murdered for trying to translate the Bible out of the original languages into the common language. So today, when you bring your Bible to church, it's the blood of the reformers. That we need to be thankful for saints that were bold in their faith that said, no, Scripture alone is the authority for our life. Not the teachings of men, but Scripture alone. And so that is a classic defining uh, doctrine of Bible-believing Christianity. Scripture alone, nothing else that goes with that. So we're going to go through these different solas today, but this is one of the three that were being articulated 500 years ago. Scripture alone. What is your source of authority? All right, so let's look here, here at our next song, number 389. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall plead. I need no soul I come to him he'll never cast 
salvation by my Savior's name, salvation through his blood. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died Good catch, folks, at the beginning of that song. I started out, we did a special a number of years ago with the same lyrics, but a different tune. And that's what I broke into at the beginning, because from memory, it's amazing how many songs you can stick in your head, but sometimes you land on the wrong one. Pastor. All right, for the next sola, it's called Faith Alone. Uh, you can take your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 16, verse 31. And uh, you can read along as well. So let's uh, read it together. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. All right, so is there anything else that we need to do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it believe and give your offerings to the church? Is it believe and do good works? So believe in that alone. So it's called sola uh, fide or faith alone. That's what is necessary for our salvation. So to go along with this one, I would like you to take your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. And Martin Luther began to study the book of Romans. And of course, maybe you've heard the famous verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, uh, that he came face to face with one day as a uh, Roman Catholic monk that was trying to do good works. He came across the phrase in Romans 1, 17, the just shall live by faith. And it's like God drove a hot dagger into his heart. He realized that he was trying to be saved or justified not just through faith, but through all kinds of religious works and merits of his own. But really, as he began to study and to translate the book of Romans, uh, the third and the fourth chapter uh, are what God used to bring him to salvation, where he would no longer trust in his religious works uh, for his salvation. He encountered such verses as this, Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Then you see verse 6, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God, and what's this next word? Imputeth righteousness apart from works. So, what part do good works have in a Christian's life? Well, they don't play the part of being justified in God's sight. That means being made righteous or justified before the Father. Good works don't do that. Uh, look with me at verse 8. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not, here's a very important word, impute sin. And then go with me down to verse 11. This is talking about Abraham, and it says, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness 
of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that do what? Believe. Though they be not circumcised, that the righteousness might be what? Here's this key word again. Imputed unto them also. So by faith alone, we are declared righteous, not by religious efforts. So why do we go to church on Sunday? Why do we try to be the good neighbor on Monday and any other day of the week? Well, we're going to read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 uh, in a few moments when we get to grace alone. Well, clearly the scripture is teaching that religious works do not justify us. It is faith alone, trusting in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross apart from any religious effort. Put all your confidence in what Jesus did. Believe. And that alone gives you what is called imputed righteousness. Now, what the Roman Catholics teach is that you're infused with the righteousness of God. So now infusion is something that's completely different from an imputation. An infusion is a substance which remains separate from you. But when righteousness is imputed or credited to your account, then it actually becomes yours. And so God declares you to be righteous by imputing it on your record. So now, let's put it in a way that you might understand this, okay? Let's say I had access to your bank account for deposit only, and I was a billionaire, and I said, the first 10 people today that sign up for me to make a deposit into your account will receive $1 million, all right? Some of you might say, well, I don't believe pastor, so no, I'm not going to sign up, all right? But let's just say I have 10 that believe me, and they actually sign up. And I fulfill by putting it into your account. Yes, that money was mine, and it came from me, but now it's also yours, legally yours. And so, yes, it's God's righteousness, but he puts it on our accounts, and it becomes your righteousness by faith alone, by trusting in Christ alone. So here's a sample question for you. Are you trusting in any meritorious action of self to get to heaven? So let me put it this way. In Matthew chapter 7, there is a story that Jesus tells of people standing before God on Judgment Day. And some of them are saying, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And he will say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. So here's a question. If you were to stand before God on Judgment Day and he were to ask you a similar question, why should I let you into my heaven? 
what would you say? Now, here's how people usually answer that. Well, I just simply don't have anything I can say other than I believe and I've trusted Christ as my Savior. Praise the Lord. Okay? But sometimes you get the answer like this. Well, I, I mean, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I've never murdered anybody. Um, I, I try to be a good neighbor. Um, I, I'm trying to honor my parents. Uh, I'm trying to, uh, you know, do good works in society. And so they go on and on and on and on. And the only person that they've ever mentioned in their answer is their self. I was at an evangelism explosion training seminar probably 20 years ago, and a pastor was sharing the story about asking that question in a home one night. And this person very uh, boastfully started mentioning everything that they had done to earn salvation. And the pastor just looked right at him and said, Sir, I think you need to get out of the Savior business. Well, because it wasn't faith alone. It was this person's own works and their own effort, plus believing. No, it's just faith alone. All right, let's have our next song. I think you know this one. Amazing Grace. We are going to sing all five verses. Amazing Grace, how shining as the sun 
All right, take your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. This one is called Grace Alone, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Now, you don't have to stand, but if you want to stand, uh, just to stretch your legs, we're going to read this together. So if you want to stand up and stretch, feel free to do it. Uh, but Romans 2, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so that is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Sola gratia, grace alone. Have you received the free gift of God? Now, I left off in my Bible in Romans chapter 4. If you're still there, you can go over to Romans chapter 6 and look with me at verse 23, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, by grace alone, sola gratia, uh, resting in the grace of Christ alone. So, what this does is it excludes the idea that a person can merit salvation. How many of you have ever heard of a famous building called the Sistine Chapel? Has anybody ever been there yet? Seen it? I hear it's absolutely beautiful, uh, but it was built during the Reformation time period uh, when Martin Luther, this is one of the things that were in his 95 theses, uh, but they would go around to raise money, they, the Roman Catholic Church, would have their priests go around and raise money for the building of the Sistine Chapel by selling things they called indulgences. Indulgences were special uh, acts of grace that if you purchased them, you bought them and made a donation, then your sins would be forgiven. And if it was a large enough gift, you were already in heaven. All right? And so this is what Martin Luther decried was the selling of indulgences. The famous uh, Roman Catholic priest who sold those was a, a Friar Tinsel. And uh, he was going around raising money, and that's how they built the Sistine Chapel. But you can buy your loved ones out of this floating place called purgatory that's not heaven and it's not hell. And uh, you can purchase indulgences for them, and you can have their sins forgiven through your donation to the church. But also, there are other things that would go along with this. Um, Roman Catholic teaching has what they call the seven sacraments. Uh, beginning at birth, when a child is born into a Roman Catholic family, uh, they bring them to the church, and a priest will baptize them. And that begins the process of grace in that person's life. And so salvation is incremental as you go through your Catholic life. So then you would have, beyond that, you would have confirmation, uh, where you become a confirmed member of the Roman Catholic Church after you're baptized, and that is a means of grace then, um, where you can claim a patron saint 
to be your guide for the Christian life and help you grow as a Christian. And so you're praying to the saints and uh, you have seven other things that you, that you can do. Um, the, the last one is um, taking holy orders and becoming a priest where you can confer grace through the Eucharist, which we call communion. But during a Roman Catholic service, uh, they believe that the elements of the bread and the juice are actually turned into, mystically somehow, the, the real body and the blood of Jesus, and that you're receiving that grace all over again, and that you're receiving grace through your participating in communion. Uh, so through this, then, you have seven things that you, you do as a Catholic, uh, such as confession, uh, where you receive grace from a priest who distributes it to you, that when you confess your sins, then he absolves you, says a prayer, and absolves you of your sins and gives you some kind of penance that you can do as you go through the, the system. Um, there are other things uh, that you can do within the Catholic Church to bring grace into your life. And so salvation is not by grace, it's by religious merit. Um, they used to call it last rites, now it's called the anointing, um, where if you're sick, uh, you can call for a Roman Catholic priest and they will pray over you. By the way, Bible-believing Christians can do that too, right? So nothing wrong for praying for sick people or calling a pastor to come in and pray with you as you're sick. But you're not receiving grace for salvation through that prayer. Um, now, my father was in a regional medical center um, known as St. Francis. And uh, St. Francis of Assisi, it's a huge, huge medical center. Right across the street is another uh, religious hospital called Methodist. So you have the Methodist huge regional medical center right next door to the Catholic huge medical regional center. Uh, one of the things that I did appreciate uh, about that hospital that my dad was in is they just had scripture. And most of the time, they just let scripture speak for itself. But then there were certain hallways that you just kind of felt oppressed. And there was this painting of St. Francis um, receiving the stigmata. Have you ever heard of this before? Okay. Where he receives a heavenly vision and he receives in his body, St. Francis's body, the wounds of the cross that, that Jesus had in his body. And um, so this is all part of that mystical Roman Catholic teaching where you can receive grace through meritorious service, the seven steps of salvation according to the Catholic Church. So it's not by grace alone. So what Bible-believing Christians believe is that God is the sole actor in grace, and no human being through any merit or action of his or her own can earn salvation. And so it's God acting alone to save us. So it's a free gift. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so when we give gifts, we give them unconditionally. We're not expecting something in return. But to then offer payment for a gift, well, that would be insulting, wouldn't it? Okay. 
So God's gift is free. We can't offer him religious payment for it in any way. So how can you be saved today? Well, by faith alone, just trusting in what Jesus Christ did for you. Well, what, he did do, what did he do for you? Well, he died on the cross and extended grace towards you as a sinner. And so by faith, you receive that gift, the gift of grace, by grace alone. All right? So have you received the free gift of God? Do you know that individually for your own life? You don't. Today at the closing of the message, we'll invite you to do so. This morning we found out that uh, Josiah has a sore throat, and so he's not coming in this morning. And uh, I know if someone asked me, if I, could, if I could play the piano, if someone asked me, uh, sorry, Josiah's not going to be here today. Could you come in and play five or six songs? I go, uh, no, no, not me, sorry. Well, I want to thank you, Stacy, for jumping in there and helping us out today. Why don't we go ahead and stand? We're going to sing four verses in Christ Alone. In Christ alone my hope is found my light, my strength, my song, his cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand in Christ alone who took on flesh fullness of God in helpless babe this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on the cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live, there in the ground his body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here 
in the power of Christ I stand. Thank you. You may be seated. Okay, so we've had three of the solos so far. What are they? Okay, I got all three of them all at once. Very good. Thank you. Grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone. Now this next one is Christ alone. Let's go to Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and it should be on our screen as well. All right, let's say it together. Neither is there salvation in any other. Many years ago, there was a book written uh, by a famous pastor in Southern California, and one of the techniques that he would do was uh, to make a profile, uh, a composite profile, of an imaginary person that would represent his city. And so um, I didn't have to create one. I worked for one. All right? um, this guy ran a... Um, refinancing, home refinancing business, and uh, I was a telemarketer. I would call and try to set appointments for him to go to their house and refinance, and so after a few weeks, he said, okay, let's up this just a, a little bit for you. Let's actually get you to do one of the steps that by law you can do, but you don't have to be a broker. Let's, let's see if you can figure out LTV, which stands for loan uh, to uh, debt ratio value. And so what do they owe on the house and how much is the house worth? Uh, how much is the house worth? And um, so I was able to begin to get that. And folks, it's amazing. Please don't ever give out your social security number over the telephone. I collected lots of them for him, okay? And I got credit card accounts. And I mean, it was amazing. But the, the very interesting thing about this guy is when I began to share with him about having a relationship with Jesus, he totally deadpan looked me straight in the face and said this, I'm a Buddhist and a Christian. I was like, what? I had never encountered that in all of my life. He's like, well, I like certain teachings of the Buddhist faith and I like certain teachings of the Christian faith, so therefore I'm a Christian Buddhist or I'm a Buddhist Christian. Right? I'm like, Okay, that is unique, but it's not right, okay? It's not biblically correct. And so, Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So, if you, those of you who took time to turn there uh, in your Bibles, you'll see what I was just quoting comes from verse 12. So, this next one is Christ alone, um, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, or solus Christus, Christ alone. Are you trusting in your church for salvation? Are you trusting in your religion for salvation? Uh, an ordinance versus a sacrament, all right? Now, here at Calvary, besides a sermon, uh, once a month, there's something that we partake of, and what do we call this when we have different things set up on the table down here? What do we call that? Communion, all right? The Lord's table, Lord's supper, all right? And then this one back here, baptism, all right? 
Now, we believe that those are symbolic and that they do not put grace on our account for having participated in those. And so we're not involved in the process of saving ourselves through some religious activity or some religious merit, but just by Christ alone. Uh, Christ is the exclusive mediator between God and man. Um, in our Bibles in 1 Timothy, it says, For there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now, many times people will say something like this to you. There are lots of different roads that lead to heaven, but they all lead to the same God. You ever heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard that. All right, yeah. Um, but biblically speaking, that's not true. It's just Christ and Christ alone. And so you can't rely upon the teachings of, of another religious prophet or another religion you cannot even rely upon your own self uh, to be a good person, to be your own savior. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people do think that they're their own savior. And here's how they do that, all right? It, it's like a scale here, folks. I, I believe that if I do enough good works that will outweigh my bad works, I'm on my way, all right? And so I'm going to be very careful to make sure that my bad works don't outweigh my good works because then I'm not on my way. So that becomes a self-savior, all right? And here's something that is in contemporary Roman Catholic teaching. How many of you have heard of the phrase co-redemptrix? Okay. What that is, is it's a current teaching that's gaining momentum within Roman Catholicism that says Mary is co-savior with Jesus. That you can pray to her and you will also be saved. Now, because she's, quote, the mother of God and she can tell God what to do. Well, folks, that's just blasphemous. There's no one else that can save us. Peter put it this way, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. We usually don't walk around saying, I myself did this, or I myself did that. So why would the word of God say, he himself bore our sins in his body? As an exclusive way of pointing out to us that he and he alone can do such a thing. Christ alone. So are you trusting Christ for the gift of salvation? Are you trying to be a co-savior? Is there someone else that you're depending upon to try to save you from your sins? And so there are no religious merits. There's no sacraments that you can do to save yourself. So solus Christus, um, Christ alone. All right, let's go ahead and have our next one, number 79, to God be the glory.
To God be the glory, great things He hath done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son, who yielded His life an atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Father, through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God, the vilest offender. He hath taught us great things He hath done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord! Take your Bibles, go to Romans 11.36 or follow along with us on the screen. Romans 11.36. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So this next one is Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, Whether therefore you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Uh, I've known this for several years, but uh, I actually got bold enough to, to pick up the, the family letters this time. And um, my grandmother's name was Wilma. And um, she was born in 1901. She died in 1980, uh, 19, yeah, 18, 1987, so she was about 86 when she died. And uh, she had kept letters that her older brother, 
um, who happens to be Harold, which is my father's name, wrote to her uh, when he went to basic training for World War I, beginning in 1917 through 1919, we have a series of letters uh, that he wrote to her um, about all of his experience of basic training uh, and then going to France and being uh, in the war, the artillery uh, unit that he was in and so forth. And um, so my goal is to take those letters and I've began to uh, transcribe them on a computer and uh, he was a German immigrant, and so some of the spelling is absolutely, well, it'll just make you laugh, okay? A lot, lots of joy. And uh, my goal is to eventually write a book on those. So you can pray that I'll do that. But as I was thinking through, uh, why am I actually taking this on? I said to myself, well, at some point, in this book of history that I'm going to write, I've got to get the glory of God in the book. And how do I do it in a way which is natural and not forced, that, that follows in with the story? And uh, as I began to think about the process, there are many different ways where I can naturally uh, include the glory of God or the gospel into that story. And um, so it, it's fascinating. Uh, so last night, um, it dawned on me for the first time what this poor boy from a little teeny tiny farm town called Virginia, Illinois, um, he was thrust into the military and uh, he ended up in Queens, New York for basic training at Fort Totem. And I'm thinking to myself, as I looked at pictures, Oh my, my poor uncle, he's totally out of his element. He's just a potato farmer, and here he is with all of this big city stuff all around him. He must have felt horrible, all right? And um, he had some choice language for the base, which I will not repeat to you. But uh, so I knew that he was feeling out of sorts on that. So how do you take something like that and bring God glory? Well, I'm looking forward to, to doing that and trying that. But as we live our life, what is life all about? Whose glory are we trying to share or are we trying to bring glory to ourselves? And so this is actually one of the, the defining doctrines of Reformation teaching, Christ alone. And uh, to have Christ receive the glory alone. Now, it's unclear from Roman Catholic teaching um, as to how much of this is just part of their church culture and how much of this is actually their doctrine. But it's very interesting. Uh, when Mary is elevated to the point of co-redeemer, co-savior, is that giving God the glory alone? Or when certain religious people are prayed to and there's some appearance of them in the sky or on a piece of toast or maybe their face appears on a log um, or you can have some charm that you hang around your neck 
and you pray to a patron saint that was canonized by the Roman Catholic Church, do you not know that we're all saints? Every single one of us. And it's because of God's glory that he's changed us. And so we don't share God's glory. We don't pray to the saints. Um, we don't revere uh, church leaders as infallible. Um, they're not worthy of the glory that is due to Christ for securing our salvation. So we have to be convinced that life is for the glory of God and not our own glory or the glory of any other religious person uh, to the glory of God alone. So I would like for you to take your Bible in closing, go to the second to last book of the Bible, which is the book of Jude. And this is a doxology that teaches us that God should receive glory from our lives. Jude only has uh, one chapter, it might be even one page, and so it's a short book of the Bible, but it's right before Revelation if you need to find it. Jude, we'll be reading verses 24 and 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, only Christ can save you, Christ alone. Through faith, just trust in what he did for you. That's his grace that he extends to you. He offers the forgiveness of your sins, the salvation of your soul as a gift. Receive it. Give him the glory. And we find this in the scriptures. And so I can say to you by the authority of God's book that today you can be saved if you'll call on his name. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can give God the glory.